to your attention that happened this week was a uh, church that is in um, Weatherford, Oklahoma, uh, Trinity Baptist Church. Actually, our newest members actually come from that church, was in a fire and it burned to the ground. Uh, Over 50 years ago, our church actually burned to the ground in 1966. Uh, Northwest Baptist actually burned to the ground as well. And um, as a result uh, of hearing uh, what happened this week in Weatherford, uh, a group of individuals uh, and I sent a letter um, to their church um, encouraging them with the same words that uh, the pastor at the time at Northwest Baptist encouraged our church with, that uh, the, the building is not the church, it's the members, and now is the time to raise up in the kingdom of God and be counted and that was his message um, back in the, in, the, in the 60s to our church that was destroyed. And I, I happened to send him some of those clippings. And uh, we also sent them a check um, for $5,000 from our church in, in hopes of helping them rebuild uh, what, what has been destroyed by fire. So you can be praying for uh, Pastor Spradling and uh, Trinity Baptist Church also praying for the people in Idabel this week as uh, lots going on in our world. Praying for the persecuted church as we saw the message from Rebecca uh, all over the world. The persecution of God's people um, and yet the advancement of the gospel is moving forward. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, in our quest to see Christ in all of Scripture. I'm not going to lie, this is one of the hardest books of the Bible to understand. Uh, I banged my head against the wall many times this week, um, trying to figure out how to preach this book and how to relate this message to you. If you've ever read this book, uh, you're kind of somewhat of a Debbie Downer for you. Um, it is not the easiest book to preach. Um, it's not the easiest book to translate. And yet, I stand here this morning uh, hoping and praying that as you uh, hear the preaching of God's Word this morning, that you are evermore uh, encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, as we see Christ in all of Scripture... Um, This book is an incredible book and one that I hope that you spend time to study and learn from. But the first words of the book, the author identifies himself as the Koheleth. That was what the Hebrew term there. In some of your texts, it's the preacher. Other texts, it's the teacher. Um, In the Hebrew, it is Koheleth. And it is the son of David King in Jerusalem, and in, in, in later in, in the, in verse 16, he describes himself as someone who has been given great wisdom, surpassing all who were before him. It leads us to believe that this teacher of this book is Solomon himself, the son of David. We've seen his other books, the song, songs of Solomon, as well as the Proverbs. Remember, Solomon, the son of David, is blessed by God, given God-given wisdom. And he writes this book of Ecclesiastes. But if Song of Solomon and the Proverbs were written by a young, wise Solomon, the teacher who had his whole life in front of him, who proclaimed the truth of how the world ought to be, how marriage ought to be, We're given Ecclesiastes from an old, crusty Solomon who finds life under the sun very meaningless. Mm. Look at verse 2 is what he says here in the ESV. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Are you encouraged this morning? All is meaningless. All is useless. All is vanity. The word here used by Solomon, translated vanity in the ESV, is hevel. 
Hevel in the Hebrew means vapor or smoke. Literally something that you can see, but when you try to grasp it, it is nothing. It is not there. It can also be translated meaningless, emptiness, vanity, futility, temporary, or fleeting. Think of it as a vapor or smoke in which you're trying to grasp and it comes up empty. It looks solid or pleasing, but in reality, it is a mirage and gone in an instant. It's like grasping at the wind, working so hard in life just to be hevel. Solomon then launches into his argument, answering the question that he asked in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What Solomon is about to say here in this book, and he answers that question, is utterly shocking to most of you. Either you're going to be in one of two camps. The first camp is the person who reads this book who says, Man, my neat and tidy view of the world and what I do on a daily basis is now shattered by Solomon himself. Or you're going to say, and if you're a critical person, you might be in this camp you're going to say, at last, someone is being honest about the world and about our life. To the, world, to the person whose worldview and their neat and tidy world is shattered in this book, I'd say Solomon is just brutally honest about the post-fall world about this world that has been cursed by sin and by death. And the second person who finally says someone is being honest about this world, I'll tell you to read the book to the end and you're in for a surprise ending at the end of Ecclesiastes. And yet for all of us, I believe God is teaching us something very clearly through the wisdom of Solomon. Let's, let's begin of what Solomon's thoughts are about life. Verse 4 says this, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He's talking about the march of time. It will erase you. He continues on this theme throughout this book. Verse 11 says, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet it will be among those who come after. Time will erase you. Your existence is like a vapor. Nobody will remember you. Translation, how many of you can name on the spot your great-grandparents? Exactly. The mountains, they will stay, is Solomon's argument, but your time will be up at some point. And his argument towards the end of the book, his last argument, so if this is his first argument, time will catch up to you. His last argument is, guess what? Death is coming for you. Not very encouraging, is it? Death is coming for you. You're just like the animals. Everyone will die. You do not know when. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says this, And again I saw under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So Solomon is saying, like fish caught in a net and birds caught in a snare, so your time, it will come for you. We are all going to die. Thank you, Solomon, for this encouraging word. We appreciate that. 
Life is unpredictable, as Solomon says here. It is uncertain. It is hevel. In the middle, he says, guess what? Wealth and career and status and pleasure. You can chase all of these things. I've tried them. I've given myself to all of these things. And it is hevel. Filled with disappointments and chasing after the wind. Let me give you just one taste of what Solomon says about chasing after these ideals. The American dream, if you will. Ecclesiastes 2.4 says this, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had me before in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures, kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Interesting, isn't it? He did all of these things and yet he counts it as vanity, meaningless. Grasping after the wind. Translation in today's culture. I built an empire, but lost my family while building my business. I spent hours on my yard and garden, never to sit and play in them. I had all this money, cars, and vacation homes, and never enjoyed any of it. Because I was too busy before I lost it all in the stock market. I had all these women... But sat by myself on Thanksgiving Day, never having true love. Then I looked at how much work I had put into all these things to make me happy, and I realized it was meaningless. Just chasing after the wind. This is Solomon's testimony. I had everything. I've had health. I've had wealth without end. I drink from cups of gold. I have 12,000 horsemen. I've had the most beautiful women in the land. I have the biggest house. It took me 13 years to build it. I have wisdom and wealth that is unmatched. I love when Solomon describes his wealth. He doesn't let go. Here's, here's what it says in Second Chronicles describing Solomon's wealth. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon, for the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks, right? That's when you know you've made it, okay? When you have apes and peacocks at your house, all right? Right? Like gold, silver, that's nothing. We got gold cups in our house. And we have apes and peacocks. We have our own zoo, people. Right? But at the end of Solomon's life, he writes Ecclesiastes and says, I have set my heart to build my own kingdom. And all of it is meaningless, vanity, chasing after the wind, short, fleeting. Mm. So I've entitled this sermon, Life Without God is Meaningless. We'll talk about at the end of Solomon's life what his life was. But life without God and building his kingdom is truly meaningless. Let's look at the text that we've chosen this morning 
Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14, if you'll turn with me there, if you'll find Ecclesiastes, it's after Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, it is a wisdom book, it is to be read in contrast to the book of Proverbs, which is very straightforward, Ecclesiastes is the old critic of Proverbs saying, maybe it's not that way all the time. So let's stand and read God's word in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go well with him. In his toil, through the days of his life, that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done under on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Interesting Interesting text of scripture. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you as we uh, search and mine the depths of the scriptures that we see the hope that we have in Christ that one came above the sun to come as under the sun so that we could have eternal life, not just this life under the sun. Lord, we are overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy that you would love us, that you would care about us enough, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of the gospel that we would have meaning and purpose that is not here on this earth before eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, a uh, few of us as leaders and pastors went to, um, went to a conference. It was called For the Church in Kansas City. And uh, one of the pastors, one of my favorite guys, J.D. Greer, actually gave this illustration. So um, it's an incredible illustration and illustrates the book of Ecclesiastes well. But on July 2nd, 1982, Larry Walters, um, frustrated that his life hasn't turned out the way that he wanted, um, had a dream, had an idea, if you will. You see, Larry's dream was to be an Air Force pilot. And when that didn't work out and he became a truck driver, he became very disappointed. But because of his poor eyesight, Larry's top gun dreams were now cast to the wind. And he decided he could no longer just sit there anymore. So after going to the Army surplus store and seeing these weather balloons, Larry concocted his plan. His plan involved a garden variety Sears aluminum lawn chair, 35 water jugs for ballast, a PB&J sandwich, a BB gun, a six-pack, an altimeter, a camera, a CB radio, and 42 8 foot weather balloons. His plan was to fly in in the air on a lawn chair. That was his plan, okay? He was dubbed the name Lawn Chair Larry, okay? So his plan was to fly up in this lawn chair with weather balloons tied down 
a few hundred feet in the sky above the neighborhood, seating the beautiful L.A., Los Angeles skyline. At some point, taking his gun and shooting the balloons to effectively lower him just a bit. I mean, pretty good plan, right? Especially if you're disappointed that the Air Force uh, didn't take you on. So he has this plan. Not a good plan, okay? That was a joke. It's okay if you laugh. What could go wrong? So Larry sat in the chair in his girlfriend's yard in San Pedro, California, ready for takeoff. And they cut the first tether only for the second tether to break as it created a slingshot effect launching Larry into the air a thousand feet per minute. Larry first looked out over the neighborhood and his house and thought to himself, this is better than I imagined. The view looks good From here, only to continue to rise in the next 15 minutes, being 16,000 feet in the air. Realizing now Larry had a problem. He was now in the flight path of 747's landing into LAX airport. What does Larry do? He cracks his sandwich open, eats his sandwich, and cracks open a cold one. Larry pulls out his gun and begins to shoot in the air, which he effectively hits seven balloons, just as an airline pilot spots him on the radio and radios the tower. Tower, I see someone in a lawn chair. I think he has a gun. The tower locked on to the unidentified flying object flying over Los Angeles airspace. Larry, after shooting seven balloons, would fumble the gun and it would fall to the ground. As air traffic control shut down all of the air traffic in the L.A. area, Larry descended, getting caught on a power line only to have the police and the news reporters awaiting him. And they shoved a microphone in Larry's face, and they asked him, why did you do this? And his reply, get this, a man just can't sit around. (laughs) Pretty much the same thing that Solomon has said. All is vanity. Better go strap myself to a lawn chair and see if I can go in the air. Lawn chair Larry, as he was dubbed, was wrestling with the same issue that Solomon was wrestling with. What's the point? I can't just keep sitting around. Where's the meaning of my life? All that I've done is meaningless. Might as well strap some balloons on my lawn chair and see where it goes. It is Solomon's conclusion, and we see his conclusion in this section, that one must enjoy the journey. Later, at the end of the book, he will say, we must fear God. Because all the things that are done on the earth will be judged. For most of the book, Solomon is arguing life's not fair. It's short. It's filled with disappointment. What's the point? But isn't that the point of a broken and fallen world? Amen? Our purpose was not made for this world. For if we find our meaning and our joy in the broken world, in the cursed world, then why did Christ have to come? Why did our Savior come to break the curse of sin and death so that we could be with Him for eternity? This world is pointing us to Christ 
in its brokenness. And even the book of Ecclesiastes is pointing us to a greater treasure than all the things in this world. Let's look at verse 14 for a minute. There is vanity that takes place on the earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. This is our first point this morning. There are uncertainties in this life, yet the gospel is certain. Here the word hevel is is talking about the uncertainty in life. Even if you are righteous and you do good, sometimes you're treated as you are evil. And the evil treated under the sun as if they had been righteous. My, my son always says this, that's just not fair. Mm. And I would say back to him, life is not fair, son, being the crusty old man that I am. The hevel that takes place upon the earth or under the sun is that good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. I I, I think that we can all agree that this is the case. You know, that's one of the reasons why people sometimes don't go to church That's another reason why people don't want to read their Bible. That's another reason why people don't want to believe in Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible itself admits that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Adoniram Judson is a great example of this. If you haven't heard of him, he was one of the great missionaries of all time. Born in, ni- in 1788, Adoniram Judson was one of the earliest American missionaries. He served in Burma, now called Myanmar, from 1813 to 1850. He was responsible for translating the Bible into Burmese. When he arrived in Burma, it was a missionary wasteland. No enduring evangelistic presence, no healthy churches, no native Christians from which to begin his missionary movement. And why? Because it was hard. Life was excruciatingly painful there. During his first six years, he had no convert. Six years. I have not been at this church for six years. Imagine not having one convert for six years. It was a very painful journey for Adoniram Judson. During the Anglo-Burmese War, Judson was thrown into a Burmese prison where he was beaten, sometimes left suspended upside down. He was there in a rat-infested prison cell for 20 months, only to come out of the prison cell to his wife's death. Judson would go on to lose four of his children to the harsh, malaria-infested jungle climate of Burma. And yet, God was with him. You see, he had come to love the people of Burma, to share the greatest news of the message of the gospel. Some would declare him righteous, leaving his home. And yet, he suffered as if he was wicked. Yet God was with him. He would translate the Bible into their language. He would establish schools. And when it was all said and done, he would establish a hundred churches and have 8,000 Christians. You see... Before this passage in verse 14, the teacher claims that he knows something. He says the teacher 
in verse 12, he says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. The teacher says that there is uncertainty, yet I know one thing, it is good to fear the Lord. And this is the conclusion that he derives at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Though under the sun, it may be as vanity. Life may not turn out the way you thought it would on this earth. But God will judge and he will make things right. While it looks like from an outside perspective, Judson's life didn't account for much. I had a chance to go to one of those villages in which he shared the gospel with in northern Thailand in 2010. And we went up towards the Burmese border We were shocked in a country that is 98% Buddhist in the mountains, in the roads in which there are dirt roads. We found a people that opened their Bible and spoke in their native tongue. And they had their Bible written in their native small people group of Karen, their native tongue. And when we asked them, not knowing... Adoniram Judson was their translator. When we asked them, how do you have the Bible in your own language? They said, someone came to our people a long time ago telling them the good news about Jesus. And he translated the Bible into our language. His name was Judson. You see, Judson did not live a meaningless life. Because he feared his God. Now in these verses, the righteous are punished like the unrighteous. Only looking at it from an under the sun view, only looking at it from a worldly view, it is hevel. Yet one would come from above the sun... To be like one under the sun. He would be the son of David who would be righteous. He would be the one in which it would happen to him as if he were wicked. He would be the one who would be crucified upon a cross. He would be humiliated. He would be beaten. His body would be crushed as if he were evil. Yet he was pure and holy and righteous. Why? Because of the curse of sin and the curse of death under the sun. Even when he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. And, John, and Paul writes this, Paul says this to the the, the people of Athens in Acts 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And all of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. You see, God will be the judge at the end of time. Solomon asserts this at the end of Ecclesiastes and he says that Christ, Paul says Christ will judge the world by the righteousness of one man whom he has appointed. And he has given assurance to this by raising him from the dead. Isn't that what Isn't that what Solomon asserts at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes? 
He asserts to the end of this matter, and all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Man. So verse 15, and I commend joy. This is Solomon's conclusion to the vanity of vanities, the righteous people happening to them as if they were wicked and the wicked people happening to them as they're righteous. Because we don't know what's going to happen in this earth, we cannot control things. This is his answer. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him and his toil through all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This is our second point this morning. Life goes quickly. Enjoy it to the glory of God. Solomon's answer to an uncertain world, his answer to a fleeting life or hevel, embrace it. Embrace the fact that this life probably won't work out the way that you want it to. Embrace it that there will be disappointment in this life. That it will be fleeting in this life. That you will grasp something and it will be empty in this life. So just enjoy the life that God has given you. Enjoy the heartaches and the pain and the suffering. Enjoy it. Stop trying to control everything in life. As you're going to get curveball after curveball after curveball. Right? It's not going to be a fastball right over the plate. Enjoy the simple things that God has given you. Enjoy your family. This is what he says, Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toil, at which you toil under the sun, enjoy your wife. That's what Solomon says. Don't worry about all the other things that you got going on. Enjoy your family. Enjoy a nice meal, he says later. Enjoy a sunny day, he says later. Enjoy friendship. Enjoy the simple life. You can't control anything under the sun. So the teacher says, control your attitude. Whatever God has given you, enjoy it. Be joyful, thankful for what he's given you in your toil. James says it. God's people consider it joy when they face trials of many kinds. Why? Because under the sun is not the end for us. Right? We know that this life is not our home. Might as well enjoy it. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. This is our verse we've said throughout the whole year. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. We're not looking to the things under the earth, under the sun We're looking to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're they're heavy. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen? We're not going to look to things under the sun. Solomon tells us those things are meaningless. Look to the things that are unseen. The eternal weight of glory. That person opening the Bible 200 years later and saying, yeah, Judson translated this. Paul understood what Solomon was trying to say here in 2 Corinthians. Our hope is not in the hevel. It is the one who came above the sun to bring us out of the curse and into eternity with him 
in which there will be no more pain or suffering. Look at verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. He's, he's working so hard that he can't even sleep because he's working night and day. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He, he can't find out what God's doing. How hard does he seek after that? It's futile to find meaning apart from God. This is our third point this morning. It's futile to find meaning apart from God. Trying to figure it out. Why did this happen to me? It's futile. Why this? Why would God do this? It's futile. The wisest man on the face of the earth is is not sleeping day or night to try and figure it out, and he can't figure it out. Why did this happen to me? Why? What is God's plan in this situation? He had all these things. He had all this stuff, and he still can't figure it out. He's tried it all. He says, I cannot know, neither can you. His conclusion, fear God and enjoy the simple things in life. Because you cannot know how God will work on this earth. Who would have thought that he would come down to be born of a baby, live a sinless life, and die on a cross? Who would have thought that that's how he would save the earth? Job is a prime example of this. You do not know how God is working behind the scenes. How your testimony through sickness, suffering, brings glory to God. But at the end of Solomon's life, it's kind of sad what happens. His quest to find out how God works leads him to the conclusion that one cannot know under the sun. He loses sight of meaning and purpose for his own life. 1 Kings 11.4 says this, For when Solomon was old, another word for crusty, right? Solomon was crusty. His wives turned away his heart after other gods. He gave in. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Amorites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices sacrifices to their gods. Solomon lost sight of meaning and purpose under the sun. The world and the struggles in the world, the disappointments of the world got the best of Solomon. Let it be not so for you, the people of God. I heard this story the other day, and I hope it's an inspiration to you. Kevin Hines was struggling with mental illness. He boarded a bus headed for the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. He had just broken up with his girlfriend, felt alone without purpose in his life. He arrived at the bridge and looked for a spot where he could jump off and end his life. But he had made a pact, and he said it was Monday, and even though the voices in his head were still there, he'd made a pact with himself. If even one person asked him if he was okay, he would confess everything 
and begged them to save his life. Just then a woman with blonde curly hair, sunglasses approached him. He thought to himself, it's okay, she cares. But the woman held out a camera and asked him to take her photo. He obliged, and after she turned and walked away, he took three steps, running, and he plunged downward into the calm water. But after he flew over the guardrail to the point of no return, he changed his mind. Speaking with the news station at the time, he said he felt instant regret, powerful, overwhelming. All I want to do was reach back to the rail, but it was gone. He fell head first. The distance from the bridge to the water is equivalent to a 25-story building. It was, he was conscious the whole way down. Four seconds is all it took before Hines hit the water. In that time, he had a fleeting thought intertwined with a flood of emotion. The thoughts in those four seconds, he said, were, what have I just done? I don't want to die. God, please save me. Somehow, mid-fall, Kevin Hines was able to turn his body from headfirst dive into a sitting position. He hit the water feet first, traveling an estimated 75 miles per hour. A fall like that is akin to landing on concrete. The intense impact broke his back, shattering three vertebrae, which came just two millimeters from severing his spine. But the instinct for survival at that moment outweighed the excruciating pain as he sank deeper and deeper into the ever-darkening frigid water. Somehow he managed to swim as well as he could out of the darkness towards the light. Breaking through the water's surface seemed like a hallucination all its own. However, the elation of still being live was quickly replaced with an unbearable pain again. And he struggled mightily against drowning. Then he felt something underneath him. Something alive. He thought to himself, I've come all this way just to be eaten by a shark. But nudging to keep him alive was a sea lion or a dolphin. They're not still not sure. As he kept nudging him to the surface, breathing. Until a hand reached out from the Coast Guard and pulled him out of the dark water into the light. Kevin's body would heal, and 18 months later, someone would tell him it was a priest. And he said, your story can now impact others. And now he speaks to people all over the world about his story in suicide prevention. You see, we all have a story just like this man. We were all dead in our transgressions and sins, and Christ came. We were all in this vain earth, trying to look for it in meaning and purpose. And God came into our life through the gospel. We heard about this Jesus who would give his life for us upon the cross. And that he would come down from heaven uh, uh, above the sun and he would reach down into this dark world and he would pull us out. Even though we were broken and hopeless, God would give us hope. Why? So that we could give that hope to someone else. Church, that is our purpose. That is our meaning in life, is to give the hope of Jesus Christ to someone else. Yes, it is vain under the sun. Yes, this life is meaningless. Yet, the next is not. And that's why Christ came, so that we would have purpose and hope and life in His name. We don't want to be the curly-haired blonde lady. Will you take my picture? 
I'm enjoying this life so much. Will you take my video? Let's be the Coast Guard member. It's pulling people out. Saying, I'm here. Let me tell you about the one who can pull you out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kingdom, that it is worth it, that you bring meaning to our life on this earth because of what you have done on the cross for us. Father, we do recognize that this book of Ecclesiastes is true, that there is no meaning in the things under the sun. And yet, Father, there is great meaning in that which we cannot see. The eternal matters that mean more than we could ever dream or imagine. Father, help us to be like people, people like Adoniram Judson. Help us to be people who don't see this life as it. We're willing to give up everything to build your kingdom. Lord, we see Solomon building his own kingdom. And what he says is true. Help us to be people that build the kingdom of God forever. Father God, we know that there are people in this room today who have never given their life to Christ, who have never submitted that Jesus is Lord of their life. Father, help them to, to have the boldness and encouragement to say, I need the Lord. Just as, as that man was jumping off the bridge, he said, Lord, save me. We ask, Father, that people would say that this morning. Lord, save me. I'm in need of salvation. I'm drowning. That you would come and you would save their life. Give them hope for eternity. Lord, we thank you for this morning as we teach Ecclesiastes. In Jesus' name.